Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. This is always man, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, June 26, 2012, and this is episode 930 of the Survival Podcast, and today we're going to talk about something really cool. It's the middle of summer. Most of us garden. If we don't garden, we probably go to a CSA or a farmer's market or when we go to wherever we shop, this is the time of year where there's vegetables everywhere. So I'm really thinking about the gardener with the extra stuff today or you've got your little garden but you've got like neighbors on both sides of you like super mega gardeners and they're just throwing stuff at you this time of year or the people that go to the farmer's market stuff gets really, really cheap and you want to buy lots of it. But, you know, there are times when you just don't feel like whipping out the dehydrator uh, or getting out the canning equipment, and it's, or you just don't have enough stuff to really make it worthwhile to do a big canning session. So what you're thinking is, okay, I've got more than I can use this week. It's not going to make it till the end of this week. Uh, it's going to go bad, and it's not enough really to put long-term up, or I don't really want to do that right now. It's hot out. I don't feel like canning. I'll can in the September when all the big bounty comes at the end or something like that, or the end of August when it's not quite so hot. But this July, August, end of June crap, I don't feel like canning right now. Or I just don't think, you know, you got tomatoes, and there's like, okay, there's more tomatoes I can eat. I've given away as much as my neighbors want. Uh, and I have more than I can use this week, and they'll be kind of getting soft and gnarly or whatever, and I don't feel like dehydrating them right now, and what do I do with this stuff? So that's what I'm going to address today. And I'm going to focus most of today's show on lacto-fermentation, and then I'm going to give you some other ideas that you can do to preserve the shelf life of food without necessarily looking toward long-term food storage and using smaller quantities. I think it'll be a cool show, and I'll talk a lot about lacto-fermentation today so that you can understand it. And once you do, the ideas and the recipes you'll come up with yourself will just blow you away. As always, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor the day number one today, westernbotanicals.com. In my garden, there are herbs. On my land, there are herbs. Growing all around in the woods around me, there are herbs. And I know a lot about them, and I'm able to use them in, in ways to enhance the flavor of my food or enhance the health of my body. But I don't know everything about them. I'm not a master herbalist, but I can tell you who is. Dr. Kyle Christensen, in addition to being a chiropractor and an ND, he's also a master herbalist. And he has an amazing company called Western Botanicals. He has an amazing staff as well. And if I don't know what I need, I call them and they tell me. And if I don't have it, they have it to sell me. And they always do a great job of that. And it's just an amazing company. I'm proud to have them as a sponsor now for over three years. I think they'll be here for a long time to come. And the big thing that I love about Western Botanicals isn't that I can get everything. Uh, it isn't even that it's all either wildcrafted or organically grown. What I love is I can pick the phone up and talk to real people that actually care about me. And you'll be able to pick the phone up and talk to them, and they'll care about you too, and they'll help you out. Check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. Next up today, knifekits.com. You know, knife making is really an art. And there are people that are such amazing knife makers that they have people waiting for years just to get one knife from them. And they do everything meticulously by hand. Everybody's got to start somewhere, right? And then there are people that, you know, I'd like to make a couple knives, but I don't really want to learn how to forge steel or all this other stuff. And I, I don't want to do this as a full-time profession. I just would like for maybe myself and some of my friends and some of my family to have something that's unique and specific to them and made specifically for them. 
Well, KnifeKits.com can help you out whether you're that master bladesmith or whether you're just brand new to it. If you don't have any idea what to do at all, you can go pick out a kit, some handle material, some bolsters, and get a DVD or a book. You can call them up on the phone and they'll help you make these decisions if you're not sure where to start out. And if you can use basic hand tools, you can make knives. And you can learn how to make knives. And you can take it as far as you want, or you can just make some basic stuff off some, off some basic frames. It's all up to you. But what I know is when I checked out KnifeKits.com to vet them as a sponsor... All the blade forms just said they were fabulous, and they've never let us down for a minute. They've been a sponsor now for about two and a half years, and I bet you they'll be renewing this fall when their contract comes up because they love supporting the show. They also give you a discount if you're an MSB member, so I'll segue into the MSB right now. If you want to help support this show, you can join the Member Support Brigade. You do that, it's 50 bucks a year. That comes out to 18.3 cents an episode. And if you do business with Knife Kits, you'll get 10% off all your orders. If you do business with Western Botanicals, you'll get a free year of their premium membership. That costs $50 to everybody else, but our members get it free. That means that membership alone pays for the MSB. Uh, also, if you're going to join the MSB and you're military law enforcement, Peace Corps, or first responder like a paramedic or something like that, send me an email. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did. Sum it up in one or two sentences. Don't send me like five paragraphs. I don't want you to work that hard for it. Just let me know what you did, and I'll send you a discount code that will thank you for your service. Also, remember, check out tspcopper.com. We have some really cool AOCS copper rounds there for you. Uh, Ron and Rand Paul, Real Truth About Money and Survival Podcast, and all other kinds of really cool stuff. Check it out today, tspcopper.com. Uh, with all of that kind of wrapped up, I do want to, before I get into today's episode, remind you that I need your calls for episode 1000. Please call in for that if you haven't done so already, and let us know how you've changed your life as a prepper, as part of the Survival Podcast community, and as part of the modern survival community in general. You can listen to the one-year anniversary show or episode 550 to get a feel for what these shows are like. Episode 1000 won't be the same without you guys. Please call in. I'm not, I do not have enough calls. Uh, we're 70 episodes away. I'm ready to start piecing it together, guys. I've only got about 20 calls to work with. I want a hell of a lot more than that. Uh, people have been asking how long you get. I think I have the recording set to three minutes. Don't try to script it all out, though. Make a couple notes, bullet point it, and go, and I think you'll do well with it. And if you messed it up, don't worry. Call right back, do it again, and I'll use the better of the two, or some of you guys' cases, the three. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Not everybody's a broadcaster, uh, but that's the whole point, is this, this show is to be all about you, the audience. Uh, with that wrapped up, let's get into the main subject today. Yeah, again, you know, I, I was just thinking about this, and I had talked about making some fermented pickles and gave, like, the basic, you know, here's how you do it. Uh, the way that I often do where I don't really go into the steps because it is simple. And sometimes I forget that when you haven't done something before and you're messing around with food, it can be a little bit intimidating. Like, you know, I, if I just throw this stuff in there, is it going to be safe to eat? And the answer is yes, as long as you follow the rules. So I'll give you some more specifics today. But... One of the things I want to talk about is why lacto-fermentation. Lacto-fermentation is where we allow lactobacillus bacteria to ferment our food, and then we eat it, and that bacteria is extremely beneficial to our bodies. It's, it's a big part for a lot of people of a paleo diet as well. It's hugely, hugely healthy. It, it really is. And it can, it can, it, it, I've seen people who start to make, you know, one lacto-fermented pickle or one teaspoon of sauerkraut or uh, maybe a little bit of uh, hot, fermented hot sauce, something like that, part of their daily intake. And I've watched it turn around entire digestive system problems. Simply because we're, it's like permaculture in a way. I really never thought about it this way, but think about it this way. 
If you come to me and say, Jack, there's too many weeds in my garden. What do I do? What can I put on them to suppress the weeds? You know what I'm going to say. You don't put anything on them. Not, not a, a natural, organic weed suppressant. Not, not a commercial one. Not a toxic one. Nothing. The problem that you have isn't that you have uh, too many weeds. The problem that you have is you don't have enough stuff that you do want. And if we put enough stuff we do want into a garden, if we really polyculture the hell out of it, we stack it heavy, 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 and even some of it we lose because it doesn't have enough space and it doesn't grow, the dominant plants grow, the, the submissive plants will at least hold back and hold down the growth of our weeds. So we occupy the space with what we do want, and that disadvantages the things that we don't want. Well, when we occupy our guts with high levels of beneficial bacteria, the stuff that belongs in our guts. And bacteria belongs in your guts, folks. This, this lactobacillus stuff, it belongs in there. And when we're constantly resupplying it and giving it what it needs, and it's not just that we're bringing new colonies in, but by eating these lacto-fermented foods, we're also giving the existing flora there what they need. And when we do that, we improve our digestive health. We stop things like leaky gut syndrome. We stop other digestive program problems. And I'm not a doctor, and this is not medical advice. I'm just telling you that I have seen people, and I've heard from people that said, you know, I started eating fermented foods, and these digestive problems that were chronic, that I was on medications for, that the doctor said there's nothing you can do except treat the symptoms for, went away. So it's worth giving a shot to, in my opinion. It certainly can't hurt you. So it's hugely, hugely healthy. Uh, the other thing, though, is when we lacto-ferment things like vegetables, their shelf life extends. So if I have a whole bunch of cucumbers in my refrigerator, I might keep them there for about a week. And after about a week, they're going to get soft, and even after a few days, they're not quite as good as they were. But if I turn them into lacto-fermented pickles, yes, if I want to long-term store them on a shelf, I need to then can them. Right, and put them through the canning process. And that cooks them, it kills all the good little bacteria. They're still great, but I, I, I would have to cook them. But if I have a really cool root cellar, or just use my refrigerator, once they're done fermenting to the point that I like them and I put them in that jar, I can stick them in a refrigerator, they'll sit in there a year. And they'll be just fine a year from now. Now, I'm talking about shorter-term concepts today, though. So I'm talking about, okay, I've got a whole bunch of cucumbers. Let's turn them into pickles. Let's make four or five jars of pickles, stick them in the refrigerator, and start eating them the day that they go in there. In fact, maybe we'll be eating some during the fermentation process to get a feel for the way the fermentation process works, right? What, what After two days, what does it taste like? After three days, what does it taste like? That type of thing. All right, so that allows us to then take these things that would maybe only last less than a week and make them last months long enough for us to consume them and gives us variety too because you can only eat so many cucumbers and you're like, you know, I'm really kind of tired of cucumbers. But if you make a burger tonight and you put a big slice of, uh, of fermented pickle on top of it, you're probably going to dig that. Uh, so that's why I wanted to talk about this today. Well, let's just talk about what are the basic things that we need to ferment vegetables. And here's the reality. We need something to put it in, a vessel, which I'll get to next, right? But what we what we actually need is salt and sometimes water. That's it. it. It's that simple. Now, we can put all kinds of other things in there like garlic and peppercorns or star anise or all kinds of things to add flavor and zest and things like that. But that's, you know, we don't have to do that. If we give... The, if we create the right environment for the lactobacteria, they'll do their job, they'll ferment, 
the, the vegetables. And if we do it with salt and create the salinity to the right level, none of the things that can harm us can grow in that salt water environment. So we want to keep the water sufficiently salty. And that's it. And I think that's the big thing that we need to know. And a basic salt brine recipe, you're mixing up some salt water to use as a brine, six tablespoons of salt to half a gallon of water which would be 12 tablespoons of salt to a gallon of water. And a great way to do this and rotate, like if you have, we keep gallon jugs of water. We keep water other ways as well for our preps. But we keep about, I think it's about 12 gallons of water on a shelf above our washer and dryer. So it's just there. If the well pump goes off or something like that, we can just grab it and the water's there. Well, you want to kind of rotate that stuff through. Water doesn't go bad, but it's in plastic. It gets off flavors and what have you. So we'll just, I'll just grab a jug down. Right, And I'll put 12 tablespoons of salt in it, and I'll just shake it up. And it's at room temperature, the salt dissolves. Now I've got brine, and I can use that. Now, to brine or not to brine, here's the thing. If we're doing something like sauerkraut, we don't really need the water as a brine, because the, the cabbage, and if you've ever cut a fresh cabbage, water just pours out of it when you cut the stem. So there's so much water in there, we really don't need a brine. What we're going to do is we're going to just put layers of salt. So we'll figure out, according to our recipe for sauerkraut, which is the one thing I'm really not going to talk about today. And the reason I'm not going to talk about it is if you want to know how to make sauerkraut, you can look it up. And this is not the time of year where we have tons and tons and tons of cabbage. That's the spring. That's the fall. I'm talking about summer stuff today, so I'm going to stick mostly to summer vegetables. But it's it's, it's kind of important to understand why we either mix the brine or we just put salt onto the vegetables directly. There's so much water in the cabbage. When we put the salt on the cabbage and put it into our fermenter, the, the salt will draw the water out of the cabbage. And after, let's say, four or five or six hours, if we're pushing down on the cabbage or anything else that, that qualifies that way that we want to ferment, and the water's not sufficient to cover it up, we can just add some water and it'll mix with the existing salt that's there, and it kind of creates its own brine. All right, So we can do cabbage with sliced apples and carrots into a crock, and we can just figure out how much salt we need based on how much cabbage and other stuff we're doing, and we can look up a recipe for that. It's easy to do. And I want you to start getting comfortable with that. Just like Don't worry about the person's recipe, but if you're not sure how much salt to use, figure out your total volume, look up a, a proven recipe, and know that if you use that much salt, it's going to work. You're just trying to make sure that the salinity is high enough to prevent any of the nasties from growing and allow the lactobacillus to grow and not salt it so much that you're like, this tastes like a salt brick. Okay, there you go. Now, a lot of other things that we want to work with, like let's say we want to do fermented jalapenos. Well, I'm going to do hot sauce today too and tell you how to do fermented hot sauce. And if we do that and we puree them, uh, put them in a food processor and process them and ferment that. We really don't need much water, if any at all. But when we're doing them whole or sliced or whatever, we may want, we're going to actually want to go ahead and use a brine with that. The key is we want all of the material covered by salty water. As long as we keep it under the salty water and make some way for the gas from the fermentation process to get out so we don't see, you know, basically carbonate it by holding it in there, cause the lid to blow off or whatever, we'll be fine. And that's really all we need to think about is getting it underneath, submerged, and allowing to ferment. The best fermentation temperature is right around 70 degrees, 70, 72, 73, 74 degrees, all good stuff. Just about the temperature that most of us keep our house. 
even if Barack Obama told us we're not supposed to cool it that much. So your kitchen counter is a great stuff place for the, where this uh, stuff to happen. And then once we've reached the end of our fermentation cycle, which the big thing is, well, how long do I ferment it? Well, taste it. And when it tastes kind of the, to the sour to the point that you like it, right, then put it in the jars and put it in the refrigerator. It's It's really that simple. Again, you can can it. I'm not talking about doing that today, though. I'm talking about doing this for kind of immediate use, but getting a much longer storage life out of it once it's in the fridge or it's in a really cool root cellar. All right, so next thing we need to talk about then is fermentation vessels. What are we going to put it in? Now, I personally have settled on this thing from Schmidt. It's a five-liter fermented crock pot. It's made for doing that. It's expensive, but it costs less than some of the the German crock pot competitors that kind of work the same way. It costs about half of what they do. It's about 114 bucks for the five-liter one. They make a seven and a half liter, a 10-liter, and a 15-liter, and I think they make a 20-liter. If they don't, other people do. And what I found with preppers is we always think bigger is better, right? So people want these huge. They want like a. 40-gallon crock to make your pickles or sauerkraut in. And if you're putting up tons of this stuff uh, for long-term stuff, you're canning it or, you know, some people put huge crocks down in a root cellar itself and they'll just fill that with fermented pickles. And you can do that and they'll last down there for a year. As long as it's a nice, cool environment for them, they'll continue to get more and more tangy and, and sour as the fermentation continues. Um, but it's, it's, it's safe to do. But for the kind of thing I'm talking about, the five liters more than enough. Uh, I did three, uh, I guess they were, uh, half gallon, uh, where they quart. There were three quart jars of pickles with some, some, you know, cucumbers that were left over. And I had plenty of room. I could have probably pushed it up to five. That's a lot of jars of pickles if they're going in the fridge. So, see, so some, since most of this stuff's gonna end up in the refrigerator, we're not trying to mass produce this. And I actually would prefer several small fermenters to one giant one. Here's why. If I had three five liter fermenters, and I wanted to do 15 liters of sauerkraut, and guys, that's a lot of sauerkraut. That's more than you might realize it is. I can just fill them all up, and in, in about eight to ten days, I've got my sauerkraut, and I can jar it off, and at that point, I'm probably canning it, unless I live in the north, and I've got that cool root cellar to work with. Um, but if I wanted to do fermented jalapenos, uh, fermented pickles, and maybe do some fermented zucchini all at the same time, and I have free vessels, we're back to the two is one, one is none thing as well. Now, the other thing about these things, they are expensive, and I don't think you should go out and buy one if you're strapped for cash or in debt or anything like that, because I'm going to tell you some other cheap, easy ways to do this in a minute. But I also believe that expensive things that are lifetime investments are only expensive once. This... Uh, fermenter comes with these stones that weight the stuff down for you to hold everything under the water, under the brine, and they're amazing the way that they fit in there. They're exactly what you need. You just wash them and you can use them over and over again. This is a lifetime investment. The only way this doesn't end up in the hands of your children or your grandchildren or even your great-grandchildren is if somebody drops it and breaks it or they don't want it. Uh, this is not something that's going to wear out. So uh, when I look at a $100 purchase, And I look at, over, at that purchase over having a hundred year life cycle and being used by my great grandchildren someday and being a dollar a year. It doesn't seem so expensive anymore. So just, I wanted to say that about these. And there's, you can spend a lot of money on these things. There's some really high quality ones, but personally having examined some of them, And the ones that are a little bit better known that seem to be really expensive, since I don't speak German, I'll probably say this wrong, but it's like Harsch Gartoff, uh, G-A-I-R-T-O-P-F. 
and they sell for on the same size about $10, $15 more than the Schmitz. I don't get it. Uh, and many of them don't come with the weight stones. You have to buy the weight stones separately. Now, what makes these Crocs cool is they have a lid that goes on them. Uh, that lid fits into a rim on the top of the jug. When you get all your stuff in there and you're ready to let it ferment, you put the lid on, you then fill the rim with water. And that creates a seal so that no air can get in. Right, So that gives you double protection. It reduces the mold that you get because odds are, guys, you're going to get mold on top of this. And yes, it's safe. And yes, it's okay. And don't worry about it. And that really expensive aged cheddar that you buy that you love so much, right? it was covered in mold before they cut it all up and sent it to you. So uh, I'll, I'll get with what to do about the mold when we get into actually doing it. But that's what makes these Crocs cool is they have the weight stones and then they have this little, this little beveled area that you fill with water. Now, this is a big thing. Every day, you should, you should fill that little beveled area with water. Now, let's talk out with the basics of how we ferment, what do we use, and how, how, do, we, you know, how do we put this all together and, and get going before we get into some recipes. All right, again, we need salt water if we're going to do anything other than like something that we can leach the moisture out of. Like if I said, if we want to do a hot sauce... We can puree the jalapenos or the habaneros or whatever. We can mix the salt right in there, and that'll extract enough juice. But if we're going to put you know, half peppers in there or sliced rings, we're going to want to make a brine. The big thing, no chlorinated water. Let me say it again, no chlorinated water. Chlorine will really hamper the fermentation cycle because it's designed to kill living things. That's what chlorine does. That's why it's in your water because, frankly, when you turn your water faucet on, you don't want living things in your water. Living things have a place, but when we put them into our bodies, we need to control what type of living things going in there, because if it's cryptosporidium or gerardia, we got a real problem. So chlorine in our water supply I'm not in love with, but I understand why it's there. If you are on grid water, you have a couple options. You can boil the water, but then you're concentrating the fluoride, which I have health concerns about, uh, but that will do it. Uh, but it's an extra step, and it's a lot of energy, and you heat up your kitchen in the summer, and yada, 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 right? You can go down to Walmart uh, or any store, and you can buy you know a gallon of distilled water uh, for about 60, 70 cents. So that's probably the easy option. If you own a Berkey, and you put your water through a Berkey, and I think you should, then the water that comes out of there is free of chlorine. And that will work perfectly for this. And if you have the lower fluoride filters in your Berkey, then you will also have no fluoride in your water. Those of us like myself who are fortunate to be on well water, I just take the water right out of the sink and use it. But it's important, non-chlorinated water. Then the other thing you want to do, no iodine, uh, you know, ionized salt. Uh, the best thing to use is sea salt, natural sea salt. Uh, it has all of the trace minerals and things like that, so there's a health issue there that it kind of helps out with because salt is not just sodium and chlorine. It's got a lot of other things in it. It's small amounts, but they're there. And the reason they put the iodine in the salt is that we need iodine in our bodies, and iodine's in salt, but they take the salt and they completely refine it and suck everything out so it's pure NaCl, Right, I think NaCl3, if I remember my chemistry right. And then they go, well, we need iodine, so they stick the iodine back in there. When they do that, it can create off flavors, anything that you would pickle or ferment or anything like that, and that's why we say not to use that, so we don't want that. Our fermentation vessel must be non-reactive. It can't be metallic. You can't use a metal pot. So that's important. So if we stick to those rules and we make sure the salt is sufficient to create a high enough salinity and we keep the stuff underneath the liquid, 
We're going to end up with fermented food. It's that simple. It ain't no more complicated than that. And people have written entire books on it. I'm going to give you some books in the show notes today that you can get that will help you with it. But reality, that's the whole thing. Now, what if you don't want to spend $114 on one of these German Crocs? Uh, then can you make your own? Yeah, you can take a, a, a jar and you can put your stuff in a, just a plain old big old mason jar. And you can get a slightly smaller jar. And you can fill it with, and it's a good idea to fill it with salt water in case any leaks out. And you can clean the outside of the second jar really good as long as the first jar fits inside the mouth of the second jar. And you get your big, like a big gallon jar and then maybe a quart jar. Just find two jars that almost, like the, the diameter of the second jar is almost the same as the mouth of the first jar. Put all your, your brine and stuff in there and take your, and fill it almost to the top. And then take your, 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 your jar full of water and stick it on top of there. That's, that's another way you can do it. And there's plenty of place for the air to get out. And then throw a, a towel over top of it, a dish towel, and a clean one, right, to keep flies and dust and stuff out of it. That's low-tech and easy. Get a big ceramic bowl. Find a plate that when you turn it upside down and stick it inside the bowl, it doesn't go all the way to the bottom. It basically goes out to the edges of the bowl. Okay? Get a rock. Boil it. Scrub it. Stick it in your dishwasher. Do something with it to make sure it's good and clean. And then put your all your fermentables with your brine into a big bowl. Turn your this is my grandmother. This is, was her method. Put all the stuff in there. Put the plate upside down like a, like a lid. Set the rock on top of the plate. Cover it with a towel. Good to go. You can buy mason jars, uh, different kind of canning jars, mason jars that come with a lid with a hole with a little airlock, just like home brewers do. Or you can go buy airlocks from a home brew supply place. And you can take any mason jar, any jar you want, any glass jar, and you can cut a hole in the lid, and then you know, with like drill a hole in the lid the same diameter as the airlock, and you can make your own airlock that way. That's a great way to do it. There are people that simply use a mason jar and put the lid on. I don't like that because there is gas that needs to get off. I guess if you lightly did it or whatever, and I've seen people that use like uh, the wire bale jars, and they put like a rubber gasket in there. That, that basically will let pressure out but not pressure in. I mean, you can do those things, but I think the low-tech ways I gave you, if you're not going to buy a crock, they're the best things. A bowl with a plate upside down on top of it that fits to where it's about the size of the lid for it. Uh, a jar with another jar inside of it. Uh, those are those are great. And then the jars with the airlocks. Those are my go-to solutions. And you can buy like a gallon jar with an airlock on Amazon for like 15 bucks. So you could have those out. And I guess they're cool because you can see what's going on inside them. What I like about the Crocs is my wife's big on, when are you going to put that away? When are you going to put that away? When are you going to put this away? What have you. Now, why is that still on the shelf? The Croc looks cool. It's brown. It looks really, really nice. It looks like a canister you keep flour or something in. I can have that. When I'm not fermenting, it's still sitting on the counter. And I don't ever hear, like, why is that there? Because it's her mind. It's pretty, and she likes it. So I can go, I'm going to probably order another one at eight because I've got a lot of stuff I want to ferment this summer and I can have them sitting there on the counter and I won't have honey, please get rid of it. Where I think if I had big gallon jugs full of stuff with airlocks on them, she'd be like, how long is that going to be there? So that's, that's my rationale there. And again, I like to make lifetime investments. A lot of recipes that you'll see call for whey and whey uh, is a byproduct of cheese making. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I have never tried to ferment vegetables and not got a fermentation just following basic salt water methodology. 
Um, Whey will have like this starter of just like a huge, healthy starter of lactobacillus in it, and it'll just kick it off really, really good and, and get you going faster and get you a really great fermentation. So there's a couple ways we can do this. One thing we can do is instead of making whey, if you use buttermilk anyway, a teaspoon of buttermilk is loaded with lactobacillus. So just adding a teaspoon of buttermilk to your sauerkraut uh, vessel or your, your pickles or whatever will kick it off. Uh, or if you want to make whey, you could at the same time make, I guess what you would call yogurt cheese. So go get a big old jug of organic yogurt, plain, unsweetened, just plain yogurt, and get a colander and some type of a strainer, like uh, like cheesecloth or something like that. Lay that into your colander, put the yogurt into there, get a bowl the colander will sit in, and put it in the refrigerator overnight. And in the morning, when you take it out and lift the colander out, you look in the bottom of the bowl, there'll be liquid. That's your way. And the yogurt will be much firmer, and it'll kind of be sort of like a cheese. And then you can use that as a spread. You can put nuts in it. It's good stuff. Uh, it's a little, it's like a firm yogurt, but people call it yogurt cheese. And if you Google yogurt cheese, uh, you will find uh, tons and tons and tons of recipes uh, that use yogurt cheese. So you can do some other stuff with it. But, again, I just don't think it's necessary, but I can't deny the fact that you'd be really kind of giving it a, a jump start. Uh, so if you want to get a good jump start to your fermentation, you can add whey or, again, a teaspoon of uh, buttermilk. So let's talk about how to do this. And what, uh, what I'm going to tell you is, you if you have a crock or a big bowl, you could make about three or four quarts of fermented pickles in far less time than it's taken me to get this far in the episode. So here's how you do it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put links to recipes uh, for just about everything I do today, because I'm not going to read all of the, the, the recipes to you, because, again, this is what I want you to get through your heads, guys. It's very important, because a lot of times when I talk about anything, it's, well, I need a recipe. I need a recipe. The recipe is, the real recipe here is, six tablespoons of salt, again, sea salt, natural salt, to a half gallon of water. That's the, that's the only thing you need to worry about because like for this, I'm going to give you a recipe I've got online for this, for making these crock pickles, and I'm going to tell you how I did it. Three to four pounds of unwaxed cucumbers, uh, up to medium size, three-eighths of a cup or six tablespoons of sea salt, three to four heads of fresh flowering dill or three to four tablespoons of any form of dill, uh, fresh dried leaf or seeds, two to three heads of garlic peeled, one handful of fresh grape, cherry, oak, and or horseradish leaves, if available, and frankly, if you want them, one pinch of black peppercorns. And here's why I'm going to say I'm going to give you my recipe, uh, is it my methodology instead of a recipe. What if you have eight pounds of cucumbers? What if you have six? What if you have two? What if you have seven? What if the recipe doesn't easily scale? Here's how the recipe scales. All of the add-ons are what you want to add for like dill and, and peppercorns and garlic, right? You just do as much as you want. The, the recipe is to make sure that the water to salt ratio is six tablespoons of salt to a half gallon of water. So if you put 12 tablespoons of salt into a gallon jug of water and you use enough water to cover whatever you've put in there, you're going to get good results. 
So that's the only recipe that I'm going to give you verbatim from a site. I'll put links to other ones so that you can go there. But I would really love it if you could just get comfortable with the concept as long as there's enough salt. And if I'm doing something I've never done before, I'll go check and see how much salt other people use to make sure I've got the salt level. I can do anything I want. So here's how I made my fermented pickles. I mixed up the salt water. Again, I'm like, it's 12 to, to a gallon, 12 tablespoons of salt to a gallon of water. I set the gallon jug aside. I took a whole bunch of cucumbers. I washed them in my sink. I cut them into the size of the pickles that I wanted because these were big cucumbers. They had a little bit of bitterness. This is another great thing. If you have cucumbers that are getting bitter, they're not super like kill you bitter, but they're bitterer than you want to eat fresh, you pickle them, that bitterness will go away. So I cut them up and I threw them into my crock. I got two heads of garlic and just, you know, took all the coating off of them and smashed them enough to get the, the, the cloves out. I took all the cloves from two things of garlic. I whipped it in there. I went out to my garden. I cut a couple heads of dill off, crumbled it up, and I threw it in there. Black peppercorns. I think a pinch of black peppercorns is a waste of your time when you're pickling things. I don't think anywhere near enough flavor comes in, so I take a handful, a big old handful of good, high-quality black peppercorn into the crock. Then I took my jug of water and I kept pouring the water until there was enough water to cover everything. And, of course, all the vegetables floated. Vegetables float in water a lot of times, but they're definitely going to float in salt water. It's more buoyant. I took my two stones that came with my crock. I rinsed them off. I stick them in the crock. I put the lid on the crock. I fill the little water seal, stick it over underneath the countertop. And four or five days later, I opened it up and tasted it and said, pretty good, not as tart as I want. Make sure you wash your hands before you stick them in there. There was a little bit of mold on the top. Skim the mold off, reposition my rocks, let them sit there for another four or five days. Okay? Now, at the end of the four or five days, it looked like they were really what I wanted. Much of the garlic had escaped from underneath the rocks, from me going in there and taking If I would have left them alone, it probably wouldn't have happened. So I took a lot of the garlic out and I tossed it. Uh, off the top, because you do get some mold on the top. Skim the mold off, right, because you've got a layer of water. So you just use a ladle, a clean ladle, and you can go in and look in there, and whenever you see mold, just skim it off during the fermentation process. Do it again right before you jar them up, okay? Took the stuff off, pulled the, again, clean hands, guys. you got to have clean hands when you do this. Take all your pickles out, put them into the jar. I got a ladle, and I went back into the crock, and I ladled the brine into the jars so the jars were fill up over the top of the pickles, put the lids on the jars, throw them in the refrigerator. The actual process of cutting the pickles up, throwing them in the thing, mixing the salt, dumping it in, throwing the garlic in there, 10 minutes. This is quick stuff. This is not stuff you want to spend hours and hours and hours doing. That's the whole point. So I ended up with four quarts of pickles, Took one of my son, two are gone, now I'm eating another one. Now that I'm down to one jar, I'm ready to do it again. All right, so, because uh, I don't want tons and tons, I have to have room in my refrigerator for things like food and beer, right? Okay, those of you that don't like alcohol, we talked about a lot, for a lot about fermentation today. Don't worry, this lacto-fermentation doesn't do anything to produce any alcohol. It's a different type of fermentation than alcoholic fermentation. Okay, the next thing I really like to ferment are jalapenos. And my favorite way to eat jalapenos is not pickled or fermented. It is wrapped in bacon with cheese in them on the grill. I love to do that. 
But when you grow your own jalapenos, it's not like these you know commercial hybrids where they're all exactly about two and a half inches long and they're perfect size for the grill. Most of my jalapenos are smaller than what I could buy at the store, but they're big enough to put on the grill. I get a lot of little ones, odd-shaped ones, skinny ones, round ones. They just don't work for the bacon wrap. So what I do is I this time of year, I try not to pick my jalapenos till they're red. That way I know they're going to get as big as they can. Once a jalapeno turns red, folks, it's not getting any bigger. So every time I see them red or little ones that are a little bit red, I go out and I just pick them and I bring them in. I have two tubs that I put them in in my refrigerator. And jalapenos keep for a couple weeks in a refrigerator. One tub is for ones that are going to get fermented and one tub is one is ones that are going to get grilled. When the tub with the little ones gets full up, I go to do my fermentation. I look at my ones for the grill and if there's any that are getting a little bit old... Right, and I'm not going to make jalapenos on the grill tonight. I pull those out and stick them over with the pickled ones, right? And then I pickle them, or I should say, ferment them. And the basic way I do jalapenos is exactly what I said for pickles, so I don't really need to repeat a lot of it. But I'll give you a couple things that you can think about when you're doing any kind of hot fermented peppers. One thing is, a lot of people say, "Well, leave the seeds in because they like them hot." A lot of people say, "We'll take the seeds out because they don't like them so hot." And then some people say, well, I, I don't like them as hot as they are with all the seeds in there, but I don't like them as mild as they get if I take the seeds out. Okay, guys, it doesn't have to be all or, or all or nothing. So then what we could do is we take all our jalapenos and we split them in about 50-50, and then the ones that you're not, you want to seed, instead of like cutting them open and seeding them out, just cut, like, if you cut them, like, cut the sides off of them. So that you leave the core, so just kind of cut the outer part off and leave the seeded core. And, and toss the seeds, and then take your other half and cut them into rings. And then put that in your fermentation uh, vessel. Now, what if you don't have quite enough jalapenos, you don't really think it's worth it. You're only going to get maybe, you know, a, a pint out of this. Well, we can start to do some kind of creative things. What if you have a bunch of peppers, just regular sweet peppers coming in? Now we have another option. We could take the sweet peppers, and if we have you know a quart of jalapenos, do a quart of, of, of sliced up sweet pepper. Mix those together, and that's going to mild it out. So there's a lot of different things we can do. Just start thinking that anything you can think of that you would think would go good in there will go good in there. So you know we could do also things like if we're making pickles, and we have a few extra jalapenos, Well, we could toss in maybe six jalapenos split lengthwise into our pickles and make spicy pickles. If we have a family member that's adverse to the spicy pickles and we don't want to make all the pickles spicy, we can ferment the pickles. And when we jar them up into, let's say, four jars, put a jalapeno in two of the four jars. Put them in the refrigerator for a couple weeks and a lot of that spiciness will come out of the pepper. Use serranos if you want more heat. Use a little bit of habanero if you're brave and you want even more heat. See, you got to start thinking about the technique. The technique is salt, water, and vegetables. And then you can do anything you want to with that. Which leaves, leads us up to one of my favorite things in the world to do with fermenting jalapenos, which, which is escabeche. Uh, jalapeno escabeche. A lot of times you go into a Mexican restaurant and they'll have jalapenos and carrots. And they're kind of pickled. That's an attempt. That's an attempt. Uh, you're getting close, but it's not the traditional escabeche, uh, which is a, a great Mexican tradition. The real deal, so to speak, depending on how hot you want it, is made with a mixture of sweet and hot peppers. 
Uh, and you can do jalapenos, you can do serranos, you can do, you can do green chilies, hatched green chilies would work, uh, poblanos, you can do any pepper you want, understand that. But if you want to do it kind of traditionally, it's about a 50-50 ratio of sweet to hot. And the hotter the pepper, maybe the more of the sweet pepper you bring in because you don't need as much of the hot peppers to pull it off. You could do it with all hot peppers if you like stuff really spicy or if you just don't feel it is that spicy when you use 100% jalapenos. But about four cups, let's say, we could do. And we could do like two cups of a sweet pepper and two cups of a chili. Uh, carrots, peeled and sliced. Uh, about six cloves of garlic and about uh, one white onion uh, sliced up, thin sliced. Uh, some black peppercorns. Uh, your, your sea salt, uh, you can use whey in that if you want to, and you ferment that. So really what we're looking at is fermenting peppers, carrots, onion, and garlic, right? And that is absolutely outstanding with Mexican food, and it's outstanding day to day. And it's almost like we're getting into like a, 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 a kind of southwest flared version of chow chow, which I'll talk about at the end. Here's another thing that we just get tons of this time of year. Zucchini. We had zucchini out of our brains this time of year, unless we're in a place where the vine borers have, uh, have made that, that concept a thing of the past. You can only grill so much zucchini before you're like, I've had enough zucchini. Uh, you can only give away so much zucchini before your neighbors start locking their windows and their car doors because they're afraid you're going to leave it there for them. And before they train their dog to try to bite you if you go put it on the, on the, on the porch. You can only make so much zucchini bread, and as a paleo guy, I'm not big on the bread anymore. So, one great thing we could do with zucchini is make zucchini pickles. So we, we do, ex I'm not even going to explain the recipe. What, everything I said about a, a cucumber, do it with zucchinis and cut them however you want them. You can cut them in big round pieces. You can cut, I like to cut them in long, kind of like, like dill pickle wedge sized pickles. Those are outstanding and a really traditional thing to do with those. In addition to what I said to do with the pickles, add some sliced onion to them. And, and they're out, it's a great side dish. Uh, it's a little more mild, uh, I guess, than a uh, than a cucumber-based pickle, uh, but but cucumber uh, or I'm sorry, uh, zucchini pickles, uh, great easy thing to do. A lot of times, especially you guys up north, you're getting a lot of beets this time of year. It's it's way past beet season for us, but it's it's a beet time of year, and there's a lot of early apples starting to come in. So we can make a beaten apple relish, and that is really, really awesome, and we can ferment that. Here's how we do that. We would want about three large apples. Again, you can mix and match. It's the ratios that are important. So if I say three large apples and three large beets, and you have two of each, you kind of scale the recipe down. If you have six of each, you scale it up, right? Uh, this goes, star anise is great in this. Uh, a couple cloves would be good in this. And then you only need about a tablespoon of sea salt with three and three, uh, and you can add some whey, vegetable starter if you want. What you do, and I'll put a link to this recipe as well, you shred your apples and beets. Cheese grater is the easy way to do this. You put them in a food processor you want to, but I, I like them kind of chunky. Uh, put the shredded apples and beets together until they're well combined and mixed together. Add the star anise, the cloves, to the apples and beetroot, and just keep mixing it all up. And then put it into a mason jar uh, and add your salt, right? So mix your salt in with it and ferment it for three to four days. And after you've got it fermented, um, all you have to do after that is uh, you can eat it just the way that it is. Some people like to take it and blend it or process it until it's really, really smooth. I like it kind of chunky like that. So the reason, again, that we don't have to make a brine for this is we have apples and beets, and they have an awful lot of moisture that can be drawn out of them. 
But if you want it, if you're not getting enough moisture, you can always add some water. Just make sure it's non-chlorinated water when you add some water to it. Because we can always take some of the, the water out. So again, I'll put a, you know, a proper uh, recipe uh, link up for you guys on that. I want to talk about chow chow. Now, I always talk about chow chow with this kind of drool mentality, uh, and it was something that my grandmother made. And here's the thing, there's tons of recipes out there for chow chow. But the, the, the concept of a chow chow recipe is almost the antithesis of chow chow. When I've talked about this before, what I've said is every grandmother in my part of Pennsylvania, and most of them were Georginian, Ukrainian, Lithuanian, and Irish. I know it's an odd mix, but that was what was heavy in that part of the coal area. I don't know how the Irish got in with all the Slovakian influence. There's some Czechoslovakian, Yugoslavian in there too, and some Polish, but the Irish were a big piece, I guess, because of the mining. But that was this eclectic group uh, with a lot of Slovakian influence to it. And everybody had their own recipe for chow chow. Now, here was the reality. The recipe for the chow chow had to do with whatever that family grew in their garden in that end of August, beginning of September, when there's more stuff coming in you could handle, and whatever the neighbors would give them, and whatever they preferred to add from store-bought stuff. And the recipe wasn't so much the recipe. The recipe was that that family had that mix available to them because it was traditional. So chow chow is a mix-your-own recipe. Now my grandmother did chow chow by fermenting it and then canning it so that it would last over a year down in the cellar. Okay, You can do it without the canning and you can eat it right away. Some really traditional things that go in chow chow. Shredded cabbage, and, and, but you're not going to do so much that you're making a coleslaw, so it's a, a small amount. Green tomatoes are good in chow chow. Broccoli, cauliflower, and carrot. And that was the mainstay of my grandmother's. The uber secret to my God, I'm giving this away. And it won't matter unless you can find them somewhere. And it wasn't in all of them because not everybody liked mushrooms. Ram's head mushroom, also known as hen of the wood mushroom. So she would make about half of them with ram's head mushroom in them. And then it's just the basic fermentation. Again, six tablespoons to a half gallon of water. Make sure there's enough to cover things up. But you can put anything in there. Some, some families did it with corn. They would cut the corn off the cob and put corn in there. Uh, corn and green beans. I've had ca- uh, uh, chow chow made with it. it was mostly cauliflower, corn, green bean, carrot, and a little bit of green tomato, and it was awesome. But chow chow is just basically a chunky relish. You don't want this stuff shredded. You want this stuff in like each chunk is big enough to eat. You know, pick up with a fork or a spoon and eat. And, and the, the 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 skill is determining out of your little mix that's on your plate, which two do I uh, stab one and stab the other, and and, and getting like the complementary flavors the way that you want them, and it's 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 just great stuff, and it's a good side dish for anything. So that's the lacto fermentation part of the day, and I realize that probably could be the whole show because we're at like forty five minutes, but I wanted to give you some other things you can do that is is like shelf like oh I didn't do uh how to do uh, uh hot sauce, so how you do hot sauce. Um, it's, it's actually really, really simple. So here's a basic recipe. Again, you can scale it up or down. About three pounds of fresh chili peppers, uh, four to six cloves of garlic. I would probably use, with three pounds of chilies, I'm probably using about 12 cloves of garlic. I like a lot of garlic in mine. Uh, you can use some cane sugar if you want to to sweeten it a little bit. I don't do that. That's what this recipe calls for. And to about three pounds of chili peppers, about two teaspoons of sea salt, I would use about four. I would use more with this. 
Uh, and this recipe that I'm looking at here calls for uh, a starter culture or some whey. Uh, a quarter cup of fresh whey, which I, I told you how to make. And what you want to do is you get all the stems off your chili, so there's no, uh, there's no stems on them. And then take all of the ingredients and throw it into a food processor, or you can mince it by hand, but that's a lot more work with chili peppers. And when you're really trying to chop them finely, you, you, it bothers your eyes and your throat if they're hot peppers. So it's easy to toss them in a blender and blend them up. Spoon the chili paste into a mason jar. Uh, and, and, you know, add your salt and let it ferment, uh, for about a week or so. And then just push it through a seat, you know, like a, a colander or a cheesecloth or something like that and press the juice out and then put it into a bottle or a jar and put it in your refrigerator. That's, that's how simple it is. That's the whole thing. And there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You could ferment jalapenos or serranos or habaneros or whatever, uh, the way that we talked about earlier. And then you could take them all out of the fermentation vessel and you could squeeze them out if you wanted to and you'd get, you know, process them once they're fermented and then squeeze them out if you wanted to. It's all up to you. Generally speaking though, when you're making a hot sauce, you leave all your seeds because there's a lot of heat in the seeds and the pith. And when you process them in a blender, you crack a lot of the seeds open and you let a lot of the capsaicin out so your hot sauce will come out actually hot. And this is why you can make a hot sauce out of jalapenos and it's, it seems significantly hotter than the jalapenos themselves because you've got all those great seeds and all that great capsaicin. But that's how you do a fermented uh, hot chili sauce recipe. If you add some vinegar to that when it's done, it'll keep really well on a, on a shelf. Uh, for you without having to refrigerate it. And a lot of things you can add a little bit of vinegar to and it will extend their, their shelf life as well. Uh, and if you use an active vinegar, uh, that actually will add more, uh, beneficial bacteria for you. But follow recipes and this stuff until you get confident with it. And there's plenty of recipes out there to do, to, to, to follow. But again, just keep the technique down. So let's some, some other shelf life extenders for veg vegetables. Um, tomatoes come in like crazy right now. And salsa, pico de gallo, and bruschetta. Uh, salsa and pico are really kind of sort of two of the same things, except salsa is considered that's more sauce-like and pico is more chunky. I don't really care what you call it. We usually make what, what amounts to pico de gallo, and uh, we call it salsa. And if people don't like it, uh, I don't really care. you know. Uh, but I, I do make fresh, true salsa as well. I have what's called a mojajete. And what it is is a great big mortar and pestle carved out of lava rock. And when I do salsa that way, I take my tomatoes and I cut them in half. I cut my jalapenos in half. Uh, and I put those on a hot skillet. And I just put them on a skillet for a while until they get soft. And then I put them, the, and I usually leave the, most of the, uh, the seeds in jalapenos when I do this to make this kind of hot. And when you cook jalapenos, you bring the temperature down. But you could seed half of them or what have you. And I mash them up and I add garlic and I mash the garlic up and cilantro and that's a, more of a traditional salsa. And that's awesome warm. And I'm paleo, but I do occasionally eat corn chips. And when I got warm fresh salsa like that, made out of the mocajete, that's a night that I'm gonna break down and eat some corn chips. Um, pico. Again, we call it salsa in my house, but it really is to be correct. Pico, you cut up your tomatoes, uh, you add your peppers, so you, you just do finely diced 
uh, tomatoes, finely diced jalapenos, and a good handful of cilantro, uh, and maybe some onion and some gar. And I usually probably use to, you know, a, a big salad bowl size amount that I'm going to end up with in the end. I'll probably use about four or five cloves of fresh garlic in that, and that's just freaking phenomenal. Most people don't do the garlic. A lot of people have this fear of garlic breath, and all fresh garlic smells amazing. Uh, don't believe the TV and the anti garlic hype and all the other stupidity that gets made about it. Uh, cooked garlic in sauce, I guess, can get overpowering, but fresh garlic tastes great, sounds amazing. So when you mix up pico, generally that'll keep in the refrigerator for you for about a week. Um, if you want to extend it a little bit, a couple tablespoons of like rice wine vinegar. And it'll keep a lot longer for you covered up and kept in the refrigerator. It's best. Salsa, pico, bruschetta. Uh, I find the salsa, when I make it the way I described the mocajete, warm. It's good, really, really, really good fresh. Uh, but the pico and the bruschetta seem to be best a day into it. Like make them today, eat it tomorrow type of thing. Uh, so the pico is the big thing is the cilantro. And a lot of times we'll add other things to it. Like we'll add some black beans. Uh, or we'll add some corn, or we'll add some corn and black beans. I'll go out and I'll get an ear of corn off one of the one of the you know, garden corn plants, and I'll take it and I'll, I'll uh, shuck it, and just one ear to a bowl, and turn the grill on, and just put it on the grill until the corn is a little bit black on the outside all the way around, cut that into the bowl, mix that into your pico, absolutely fabulous. Uh, bruschetta, basically you make pico de gallo, uh, without the corn, uh, and then, you know, all those other things. So you got your tomatoes, you got your garlic, maybe you got some onions if you want it. You got your, and instead of putting jalapenos, you use sweet peppers, you know, like, uh, like bells or whatever. And then instead of, um, cilantro, uh, just use basil. And we make a lot of bruschetta because the basil's going crazy this time of year. It's very hard for me to grow cilantro this time of year. It kind of makes me sad. I grow cilantro out of my brains in the fall and spring when I have no fresh tomatoes, and I can't get it to grow without bolting in the summer here. It's just way too hot. It was 110 on my thermometer yesterday, guys, to give you an idea what hot really is. So the bruschetta, and again, you can look up recipes for this, but my basic recipe for bruschetta, and I love Roma tomatoes for bruschetta, but any tomatoes work. Finely diced tomatoes, uh, garlic to taste. I, I like lots of garlic. Some sweet peppers. I like if you can get red ones, but green is fine in there. It actually looks kind of pretty, the red and green together. And uh, about, see, this is where you got to kind of let yourself free. About a teaspoon of salt is what I'm going to say, but it depends on how much you make. Right? And, and because we got salt in there, salinity, we put that in the refrigerator, it's going to slowly begin to ferment as well. So it keeps well. And what I like to do with bruschetta is add a little bit of olive oil to it and a little bit of vinegar. And the vinegar helps, again, by bringing the acid up to preserve it so it lasts longer in the refrigerator. But those are things you can look into doing. Um, cucumbers are another thing that, like, we can, if we finally slice cucumbers... And we, we cover them with water and a couple teaspoons of vinegar and a little bit of sugar and we mix that up. And then we drain that off when we serve them. We've got kind of a cucumber salad that we make. like a It's like a lightly pickled, semi-sweet cucumber. And a lot of people make this up where you, you use a little bit of vinegar and a little bit of salt and a little bit of sugar and you just, just kind of stir it up. But if you mix it up almost like a really diluted brine and put your cucumbers into that and a lid on your container, stick that in a refrigerator... It'll keep for weeks. It'll keep for weeks. So that's a way to extend the life of your cucumbers. And then that way you're not eating it every freaking day or having to make it every day that you want it. Uh, and you can use that as a side dish. And there, the thing is, like, okay, a lot of people will serve that maybe with thinly sliced red onions is another great ingredient to that 
cucumber salad. Well, people will serve that as a standalone, but there's no reason you can't make like a great big regular salad up and then use that kind of as one of the ingredients in the salad. It kind of livens it up. So that's another thing that you can do there. Um, some other kind of just creative cooking ideas for stuff that comes out this time of year. Um, t green tomatoes. So you start to get more tomatoes than you can use. Sometimes you get some green ones that just are like, they're like, they're like, you reach in to get a ripe one and you knock a green one off, or there's just so many tomatoes, or you're starting, maybe you're losing plants to predators and blight, and you, you pull the green tomatoes. You can set them in a windowsill, a lot of times they'll, they'll, they'll ripen up for you. But if you take green tomatoes, and they're nice and firm and easy to slice when they're green, and you slice them about a quarter inch thick, And then again, this is where, you know, occasionally I break paleo, but this is the way to do it because it's such a moderate thing. And you just roll those in some flour and you get, you know, pan fry them in, in hot olive oil. Those are fabulous. And sprinkle a little bit of oregano on them or basil on them before you fry them or even after you fry them. A little bit of salt. Uh, give it a try, man. Fried green tomatoes are awesome. Zucchini chips. Now we got to go ahead and break out the dehydrator. If we have a solar dehydrator, that's fine. But the reason I threw the zucchini chip things in is when you really get zucchinis coming in, it is something that you can almost never keep up with. Well, if you get, you know, if you have a slicer or you slice by hand and you slice your zucchini chips about a quarter inch uh, uh, wide, then you can uh, dehydrate them. Now here's the thing: don't salt them. Uh, salt will dry them in a way that they'll come out leathery instead of crisp, but you can put herbs on them. Last year we made a whole bunch of them up. I sliced up, you know, like it was like eight trays of my nine tray dehydrator were full of zucchini. I did this with yellow squash too, and the yellow squash was good, the zucchini was better. And once I had them on the tray, I just got a teaspoon and Chef Keith's Northern Italian, and you can use any kind of Italian seasoning with them, and just a real light coating of it all over the top, and then I dehydrated that. Well, then the herbs just stuck to the zucchini chips. So these things were great. We just put them in Ziploc bags and we would just pull them out and eat them like potato chips. Gives you a little crunch, gives you a lot of flavor, almost no calories, lots of, of uh, minerals and nutrients though. But if you want to cook with them, they have all this great herb seasoning on them. So like if you want them in something you've cooked, like a casserole or a, like a spaghetti sauce or something, let the sauce completely finish. Take a couple handfuls while it's still hot but not cooking anymore. Throw it in there, mix it up, done. And they come back. So they become a long-term storable, but a short-term snack. And I think you'll find yourself eating so many of them. Uh, maybe you'll feel, figure out that those zucchini plants that you think are producing too much are actually doing the right thing for you. And you can do, like, with cucumbers as well. Like, we get a lot of cantaloupe and watermelon this time. You know, mix it up about one part each. Like, one part cucumber, one part cantaloupe, one car, uh, part Uh, can't, one part cantaloupe, one part cucumber, one part watermelon. Small pieces, mix that up. It makes a great salad. You can do salsas with those things as well by adding some tomatoes and maybe some peppers in there. And when I was talking about the pico de gallo or the salsa, one of the things I think I left out is usually when I make salsa, even if I'm using jalapenos and tomatoes and cilantro, garlic and onion, the other thing I usually do is I usually do some sweet pepper in there as well. Um, and especially when I don't have a lot of something. So like I have just a little bit extra tomato, and I want to make a salsa, and I only have a few extra jalapenos early in the year, late in the year, what have you, go ahead and throw a couple sweet peppers in there, uh, and, and they're just great. Again, cut them to the size that you want them. Um, here's the big thing. Uh, like I said, when it comes to the fermentation that we spent most of the show on, as long as you get the salinity, the salt level high enough, and as long as you're using natural salt, And as long as you keep the vegetables underneath the moisture so that they're sealed off, you're going to get fermented vegetables. And then the answer to the big question of, well, can I or is it okay to is almost always yes. 
right? Try anything. If you think, like, well, what about asparagus? I've never done fermented asparagus beers. I can't imagine that they wouldn't taste great. I like pickled asparagus. And here's the thing. If you like something pickled, you'll probably like it fermented. Pickled stuff in vinegar is usually more sour, more acidic. And I found that a lot of people that like go, I don't like pickles. If you give them a lacto-fermented pickle, they go, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good. You know, if you go, well, can I add hot peppers to this thing and spice it up? If you like hot, try it. Uh, when it comes to cooking in general, if you think two things will go well together, do it. If it tastes like crap, don't do it again. It's not that big of a loss. Yeah, it might, it not, might, might not be a good idea to put things together you've never done before. Uh, when you're going to have like five or six people over for dinner, and that's the only thing you're making. That would probably not be a good idea. But day-to-day, -day, just experiment. Just try things and focus on the techniques and the procedures. Because, again, with the ratio, six tablespoons of salt, half gallon of water, if you put any vegetable underneath that and use good sanitary procedures, it's going to ferment. It's probably going to taste pretty good. Uh, I, I didn't talk about kimchi today, and I know I'm going to get a lot of comments about it. I'm just not a fan. But if you want to know how to make your own kimchi, that's another thing you can do. And it's like the Korean version of like pickled cabbage. And I, I don't know what it is, guys. I just don't really, I don't dig it. Uh, I like a lot of stuff that's you know out of the Asian world, Korean, Vietnamese, uh, Japanese, Chinese. I like a lot of the stuff that comes out of there. And the, not the stuff that you see in every single Chinese restaurant or, or what have you, but some of the stuff that's, you know, really, you know, like the, the authentic stuff, but the kimchi just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. But that, that's the big thing. A lot, some of the stuffs I talk about today, they might not do it for you, but figure out what does. And this is the really awesome part about the fermented vegetables. Again, some people don't like that sourness to it. You only have to let it go to the level that you want it to before you refrigerate it. And the process does continue. It doesn't stop at dead cold, but it stops it a lot. It doesn't, if you take your pickles at four days and they're just a little bit tangy and you say, that's, that's, I like that. I, I can deal with that. Um, it's not too tart for me. And you put them in the refrigerator in two weeks, they're not going to taste much different at all. In four months, they might be quite a bit tangier, but you'll probably grow accustomed to it over the four months you're eating them if it takes you that long to eat them, and it probably won't. But this is why I'm really kind of hype, hyped up on this today. Not only is this a great way to deal with the extra production this time of year, but if you can train yourself to do this, I promise you, it's so flipping easy. It's so flipping easy to take about 20 jalapenos, and if you don't want it to be too hot, just cut the sides off so you get four long slices instead of a bunch of discs. Throw them into a fermenter. Throw some garlic in there. Throw some peppercorns in there. Um, dump some salt water over them. Wait it down and wait a couple weeks and stick them in the refrigerator and then use them and eat with them. To throw in, instead of doing do the exact same thing, add some carrots and, and some onions and sweet peppers, and end up with uh, escabeche, right? It's so easy. It's so easy to, to, to take 10 cucumbers that are a little bit bigger than you would have liked, that are getting a little bit too big to be really good to eat fresh, uh, and cut them up into pieces and stick it in there and dump the salt water, garlic, pepper, dill, stone weights, and then stick them in jars a, couple, a week later or a week and a half or two weeks later, depending on how tart you want, and stick them in the refrigerator. This stuff is... It, it's it's mind-numbingly simple. It's so easy that it's hard to believe that we lost it as a technique in the average household. 
my grandmother did this stuff every day. This was not like a, it was not like canning. It was not like okay, we're going to save everything up, we're going to get ready, we're going to plan a day, and we're going to spend all day canning tomatoes and canning peppers uh, on this Saturday. And there were days like that, and those were toward the end when the harvest was big. This was okay. There's extra cucumbers today. I don't feel like pickling. Chop, chop, chop. Drop, dump. Set it in the shanty for a week. Okay, now there's pickles, and everybody went crazy and ate them. Uh, a lot of times, I never even went in a jar. She would take the bowl that they were made in, the crock they were made in, stick that in the refrigerator. You just go and pull the the plate off of the top and pull a pickle out and stick the plate back on it until they were gone. And by doing that. What was happening, and I had no idea, and most of the people that lived this way didn't realize what they were doing. You were constantly improving your intestinal health and your stomach health and your gut health. And then you wonder, where, like, there's a lot of reasons. It's not just this, but there's a lot of reasons. There's all these modern diseases that we never dealt with in the past. All this autoimmune stuff, the body attacking itself. Your body's not stupid. It didn't just, it didn't wasn't one day. Like, so there's some autoimmune diseases out there, guys, that are legitimate and they're genetic and they happen. But the, the the chronic level that we're dealing with them today, what the human body knew what to do with itself for ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand years, it was fine. And then you know a hundred years ago, it just started going. I think I'm going to attack myself. You know, and one out of ten people or whatever. No, it's insane. And it's not just this, but this is one example. If we get an inflamed internal uh, gut, you know, in, internal uh, gastrointestinal system, we're going to have all kinds of problems from there. We're going to get toxins leaching into the body. The body's going to try to compensate for that. All of a sudden, you've got inflammation in other parts of the body. You get, you get an inflammation, you get into cholesterol issues, you get into... I mean, all of this stuff is linked, in many many cases anyway, to inflammation. And inflammation, many times, is, is, is linked to the fact that we're not properly digesting our food. Not to mention we're eating crap. But we're not even properly digesting the crap now. So by doing this, by adding this to you, and even if you're not a person, like my wife's not real fond of the sauerkraut, I'm like, you know, you can eat a tablespoon a day. That's really all it takes. A tablespoon a day, a pickle a day, eat one, you know, pickled pepper as a side dish, get something in there and start doing it often. And so not only will we be able to take all of this extra bounty and use it not just for long-term stores, but use it now, we can actually improve our health. And that's really important, guys. It's real, really a big part of survivalism, especially modern survivalism. When we deal with crisis, the more healthy we are, the better we feel, the more resiliency we have inside our bodies, the better we're able to compensate for the failures of systems, for injuries, for tough times, for times when we're exposed to things, if there's some type of toxic spill, the strong body is better able to fight things off during an Ill, you know, a pandemic, an epidemic, things like that as well. And it's, it's really something that's critical, and the stuff that I've given you today is so easy. The time you've listened to this, You could have made up a dozen batches of various fermented vegetables. It really is that easy. I really encourage you to give it a shot. Don't try to write down the recipes from the from the episode. Focus on the techniques. Give it a shot. I will put links to a bunch of recipes uh, that I like today. But please, please, when you're doing recipes, other than making sure there's enough salt to get the process to work right, Change anything you want. If you think apples would taste good in there, throw frickin' apples in there. If you think a hot pepper would be good in there, throw a hot pepper in there. If you think uh, uh, sweet peppers instead of hot peppers would be something, because if you don't like hot stuff, make pickled peppers, make pickled sweet peppers and eat those. 
and, and, and just try something. I want everybody that listened to this episode today to, 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 to try to commit to yourself that in the next two weeks you'll ferment some sort of vegetable and try it. Because even if all you have is a bowl and a plate and a rock and some salt and some vegetables, you can do it in an apartment, you can do it in a house, you can do it anywhere. Give it a shot. I think you'll enjoy it. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Revolution